I'm out of breath. Welcome to the after party, guys. Woo! That was that was such a high seas adventure. I need a towel. I guess we got our sea legs on this adventure. Uh, I need some inoculation against that pun and also scurvy because now we are career sailors and I, I love it. I have a lime. Do you want it? Well, I've got a coconut, so we're gonna get shake it all around in this uh, in this wonderful <laughs> section of the podcast. Delicious cocktails. Come on, where y'all. we deconstruct the game, talk about what could have happened, talk about what might happen next. And answer your questions. All I want to know is, was that not the most badass thing you've ever done in D&D? Yes. <laughs> if the answer is no, don't answer it. <laughs> Eric, can you take us through the way that we did that? Because it wasn't exactly initiative. We kind of chose when our turns were. But we also were limited by roles and, and checks as to what we could actually accomplish. Sure. This is called a skill challenge. A skill challenge is kind of similar to the way that 5e does initiative and fights. Um, it basically gives everybody a chance to do an action and really puts the onus on the players to be crafty and figure out what they need to do to solve a particular thing. So I have some ideas about what you need to do to secure the ship, which is kind of like what the captain told you you need to do to sail the ship, which was to uh, pull the rigging and secure the sails and, of course, steer the thing. But everything else kind of just unfolded the way that your actions took you. I had some ideas of what happens in between rounds with big quotes around them. But really, uh, it's just giving you all a chance to pitch in and contribute to what's going on. Skill challenges are like a ton of fun because they can be any situation from building a house over like a year or so to sailing a ship through. That probably in-game time was in, in like the world time was what, an hour or two? Yeah. But, you know, you're able to go through it a lot faster. You're able to do a ton of things. Really, really freaking cool that we got to do that because I've never parallel parked a ship before. I wrestled an octopus and you parallel parked a boat. A boat. I mean, I did like a flying double dagger maneuver into a water weird. That, that was, was pretty that was fun. pretty fucking cool too. And stole two great t-shirts. <laughs> I mean, I guess we'll see if I get away with it. I but. need like a, uh, I need, it doesn't have to be now. I want to know if either the designs or what it says on the t-shirts. I mean, you're going to see it for the rest of our lives as characters together because I'm not going to wear anything else. <laughs> oh, yeah. We kind of ran through it because we were like in the middle of a storm, but she did kiss you on the cheek. Uh, she super did. And I am now like star powered Super Mario Mushroom one up <laughs> forever. My little gay rogue is very happy. What's the deal? With her turning into uh, all these animals and stuff? That's right. The captain is a druid. She is a moon druid. She has very high skills in doing polymorph. Hey, so, hey, I'm, I'm a moon elf. We're meant to be together. Oh, my God. Look at that. Twice per day, she can turn into a challenge rating one animal that can swim. So she turned into the marlin, and then uh, she turned into the giant octopus. The marlin, she was just kind of showing off, but like I had the stats for the um, octopus, so she actually really upped her strength. Her strength before had a modifier of zero, and then as an octopus, it had a modifier of three. That's how she broke out of those manacles. I think we have a recurring statement of us requesting oil paintings from our listeners, but if we don't get (laughs) a warforged and an octopus wrestling on a sailboat, I mean, what are we all here for? That's a good point. Oh, I need to get my manacles. 
Yeah, you got to pick up the pieces of the medical. I'm oh, so sorry geez. that you've lost your medicals and your javelin today. Another badass water creature that we met today is a water weird. I just pictured Gyarados. Is that wrong? That's not that far off, except Gyarados is made entirely out of water. Uh, water weird is a water elemental, so it is literally like part of the water elemental plane. It is like literally animated water that will come up and mess you up. It's actually very like territorial of the lake that it's in, and it, I made up that it can control this storm. Um, but actually what Tracy learned in the trophy room earlier was how the water weird ended up in Lake Kiko and Brandon decided to take a alligator suitcase instead of a water weird securing item. I didn't know what the challenge was. That's true. Like I had no idea what. I'm not. No, I'm not faulting you. I just think it's funny. And I was waiting oh, for yeah. that, that like re- realization to come over you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It came over me immediately. Like I knew I knew I should have got that popcorn bucket. <laughs> Isn't that the case? You should always keep the bucket when you get a bucket of popcorn. You'll find some use for it. All right. It's not just, it's a magical bucket of popcorn. Yeah, like extra cheesy, extra or salty, unending. sea salt. Unending. One time I mixed caramel and butter and salt popcorn, and man, it's that delicious. was the best decision I've <laughs> ever made. Have you ever done the, the caramel corn and the cheddar? No, that doesn't sound like it was good. It's very good. All right. Tracy, I feel like you are being more aggressive than usual in your like interpersonal <laughs> decisions. Uh, rage mode aside, so how is Tracy feeling about this whole situation? Obviously, all of us hate Greg, but what's what's going on? I just want to say, Tracy is a fully fledged emotional human being, <laughs> or being, Warforged being, but he's not happy that he's doing this. Like, th- if you break it down, what's happening is that they offered us a job. And then they said, great, you can have the job, but here, let us kill you first. And that's kind of screwed up. After proving ourselves multiple times, I realized that we actually saved Alonzo more than the times we mentioned when we were fighting Greg. I mean, my patience is short with Greg specifically. I mean, Johnny, obviously, he's a fan of light and, you know, celestial beings are like friendly with light. So, you know, I'm not going to like throw shade at the... uh, At at anyone? At anything. Ever? Shade is, is antithetical to your to your life purpose. Y'all just shut me down, and it's the best Ooh! thing you can do. Ooh, got him. I got nothing else to say. That's correct. You know, Tracy doesn't like uh, Speaker uh, Martinson. Johnny wants the death of Greg to come swift and soon. Not swift, painful and soon. And um, I personally, like my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, Greg absolutely put that in the boat. The music box? Oh, oh yeah, 100%. I am so sure he did that because he was way too happy to see us go. I have just no patience for that kid. Also, the music box reeks of either one family heirloom or two dumb wedding present. And who has a bunch of both of those? Greg. You know, we need to follow up on his sister at some point. Regina? Yeah, because I, I, you know yeah. what? I feel like I'm not a fan of that family. And the sooner we can get Alonzo away from his husband, who is clearly bad news, the better. Or the both of them away from the bad influence of their families, like... Obviously, both are under a lot of pressure. Maybe Greg is just, you know, I I want to believe in Greg is what I'm saying. I want to believe in him. I'll give him the chance to prove himself, but he's got a lot of proving himself to do. And I am not apologizing for what we did to his people and him. I think that's that's actually why Tracy is so upset is he's done trying to prove him. Like, he's already proved himself 800 times older. He's done. That's what you get with these royal families. You know, they act all, I can do this, I can do that. No, 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 no. We are simple, good, adventuring folk. No, no, no. I mean, I I think there's a lot tied up, and I'm glad you're all running against it. I don't mean to make – actually, I do kind of mean to bother you, but, like, I don't – like, you should 
I think it's good for your characters. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, I was going to say, as angry as we are, I think it's great. I want to obviously do what's good for the land and for the Undying Light, but I can't stand these this family anymore. That's actually interesting because I don't think Crazy's motivation, I don't think he gives a shits about the land. I think he just cares that you, you two are safe and you two want to do it. So that's what he's going to do. They've been living in their uptown world, but they never had a backstreet guy, but their mama never told them why. I'm going to try for that uptown girl. I lost... <laughs> Johnny, what was your idea of taking an oatcake from a blink dog that has boxing gloves? So here's the deal. Like, that sounds like I'm, a Tekken character. I'm, I'm so sorry that my doorknob action ended up blowing back on you. The, the thing is, is that I think it's very clear that Johnny really cares about breakfast. And I want breakfast. A breakfast is an important part in any warlock's day. Maybe then yesterday, instead of going to the library for two segments of your day, you should have gone down to the kitchen for one of them, gotten some mm. rations. Or, like, learn to cook or something. I'm just saying, you shouldn't antagonize my dog, man. I had extra okays if you asked me for him. I didn't antagonize the dog. I stealthfully took it. You took her food. From her. That's all I, she cares about. I food. also love how beat up you are now. Like, you yeah. got messed <laughs> not up in this episode. I have no health, basically. I'm at, out of possible 36, I'm at 13. Dang. And I mean, I guess next episode we'll talk in character if you need some of those health potions we got. I'd say yes. But, I mean, we'll see. I'm sure everything's going to be smooth sailing, as they say, uh, from, from the ore back to the end of the challenge. Yeah, this ore better be freaking worth something or other. It is gold and silver. Listen, here's the way I see it. We're going to be the only ones to have ever done this challenge and completed to the end. That orb is ours. It's gold and silver. We can make a good buck out of it. We're keeping that spyglass as well, made of gold. They won't need it anymore. And it's magical. It's ours. I'm not giving it back to this family. They're crazy. They just tried to kill us. I love stealing stuff, so I'm on board. No one said the orb was made out of gold and silver. Quote, the orb is made out of gold and silver <laughs> from the library. I said it is golden. It's golden oh, so it's and co- silver. Color? Like the colors. Um, so you knew what it is. And also, what was the other thing? And also the spyglass doesn't actually, it doesn't do spyglass things. It only does that one thing. It's a magical item. You've got collectors everywhere like those guys. Okay. Johnny's one of them. It's worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. (laughs) Uh, So we have a question here from Brendan Miraculous, who is uh, super awesome and active in our patron discord. So he says, if I remember right, Johnny is neutral and Nara is chaotic neutral and Tracy is lawful good. But Tracy's been acting more chaotic and Anara's been acting more good. Do you anticipate your alignment changing? All right. So I have a lot of thoughts about this. And this might be up for debate. But in my view, like, there are no absolutes in morals or laws. Like, so in relation to Tracy, his quote unquote lawful good was his creator's lawful good. So I think what he knows as lawful good is doing the mission that he was given, being careful and trying not to hurt people. But like there aren't a ton of impediments because he doesn't, nothing can really stop him. But I think he is also discovering the fact that that alignment of ideals that he took from his creator or his previous owner is not what other people see as that. So I think he'll actually get more aligned lawfully good as we go on. I've always had issue with the alignment grid, and I'm not the only one. There's a lot of discussions about whether or not it's a fixed thing and whose perspective does it come from, who decides what that alignment is. Because there is a definition of chaotic, there is a definition of lawful, good, and of evil. 
But, you know, the perspective that Tracy has is very unique to his own. And I think when you talk about just the grid by itself, yes, Tracy is is not lawful good in especially the instance where he's he took Tallahassee's bag. But, you know, as the character, as the person, Tracy is not just a set of rules. He has a complexity and, you know, he has a leaning towards you have to think of it more like like a line graph where each action each motive, each thing that each character says is a point on the graph. And, you know, depending on where the biggest clump is, that's kind of mm. where you lean towards. It's like a scatterplot. Kind it's of a scatterplot. Exactly. I couldn't think of the word. So, like, that may have been a moment where Tracy wasn't the most lawful good. But, you know, on the whole, the statistical mean, median, mode, everything is at probably a lawful good. And, you know... That has changed because he's now in a different era. He's living in a different world. So, you know, maybe some of those things have shifted, but he's always aspiring towards there. And there's no moment where it clicks and suddenly a character who was one thing is now another. Boom, boom, like a level up. It's more like just the evolution of how the character acts. How do you feel, Amanda, uh, with, you know, the evolution of Inara? I think that like people, characters don't always act in accordance with their stated values and they justify things to themselves. And that to me is really interesting how people decide to act. Maybe they know that they are predisposed toward a certain type and want to act differently. They want to, you know, break out against the shell that they perceive themselves to be in. Or maybe they aspire to be something else, but at the end of the day, their, you know, base instinct leans another way. So I think that the, you know, the alignment chart is less of a prescriptive, like, if you're in doubt, this is how your character would act and more of a like opportunity or an invitation to think about how your character thinks about themselves and what is important to them when they're making decisions, which is why I love the scatterplot image so much. But I, I think that, you know, Inara is all about justification. Like she the way that I that I kind of interpret chaotic neutral is that she'll make the fun choice between two, like if all other things are equal, but that she also trusts her own moral code and what is the letter of the law is not really important to her. Um, and she also grew up outside of like a traditional kind of town or village or city where I think they kind of operate by their own traditions and laws. And so I think uh, her relationship to obviously we find ourselves in a prison in the first episode, like she doesn't mind stealing if she can justify to herself. And if killing is the thing that makes sense in a situation that is in accordance with her greater mission, she'll do it. And I think that falls in line with the alignment that I chose. I think it's totally fine. I mean, we're creating round people. We're creating round characters, and everyone's allowed to have some sort of complexity. If you want only 2D characters running through your story who are just like, I'm a good person, and I'm an evil person, and we're going to fight it out, and whoever wins, that's fine. But I think that everyone is really complex, not even the people who I'm creating, and I'm really glad that all of you can invest this time to think about who you are and how you go through this world. Also, that isn't to say that the alignment grid is bad. I mean, I think it's great. I love especially when when you can see those lists of Star Wars characters and which ones what or or of anything. But oh, those yeah. are how you put your bread away. Yeah, I mean, but those are set things. Our characters are still evolving and changing, and that's why the scatter plot, at least for characters that continue to evolve, where there's a lot to ingest, a scatter plot makes more sense than a grid because it has less definition. It's almost like nature versus nurture. In yeah. what way? Uh, in that, like, maybe by nature, you're X and Y alignment, but, like, by the environment you're placed in, that means something different for each individual. Absolutely. And, I mean, that's why I like 
Harry Potter house sorting or thinking about what your Damon or your Patronus would be. It's not the be all and end all of the character. And it's not as if they can't have contradictory impulses, but it's just a way to think about their behavior, a way to take your character, like hold them up and kind of turn them a certain way to just have this new perspective on them. I think it's just another opportunity to be reflective and introspective and critical. And I think that's going to benefit you at the end of the day. Friend of the show, Misha Stanton, writes in to say, long time, first time. Love the show. Thanks, Misha. Got a cue for the after party. Tracy's berserker button is some of the most inspired use of a mechanic I've ever encountered in a D&D game. Aw. It's a way to justify the berserk mechanic that had literally never occurred to me before. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with you, Misha. You're great. <laughs> I've also reused a particularly cleverly conceived religious organization, which I read in a high fantasy novel as a young kid for a couple of my campaigns now. Mm. Are there any particularly inspired bits of other fictional works or worlds that captivate you? Little bits of other fictional universes that seem especially unique or stand out to you. Keep up the fantastic work. Talk to you all soon. I actually have something that I've been thinking about a lot that I haven't been able to bring in. What was the name? It's uh, Garth Nix. It's not Sabriel. It's the other one with like, it comes like a a book with the three. It's the seventh tower. Oh, the seventh tower. Yeah. There's a whole thing about like, how color aligns to your ability to do magic and also like your class. And you can escalate your color by like doing these trials and like competing. And like there's all these things you can do with magic. I really like how magic and your ability is then expressed in a physicality and something that then starts to define the whole society. I find that very fascinating. And hopefully like I've been able to fold some of those ideas about how the relationship between skill and magic then expresses itself in society. It's just a thing that I think about all the time. I've been captivated by the golden compass idea of the daemon since I read those Mm. books when I was like seven, which is that sort of half of your soul as a person, the sort of complementary, contradictory impulses that we all have within us, half of that is sort of outsourced to an animal companion that is like appears when you are born, is able to shapeshift, expressing different parts of your personality. If you're feeling really fighty, there'll be like a lion. If you're feeling really flighty, it'll be like a tiny mouse or a moth or something. And then eventually settles on one shape that you'll have for the rest of your life when a child kind of grows up and reaches puberty and, and kind of, you know, ends adolescence. And it has just been a thing. I don't know. I love reading Damon AU's fanfic set in (laughs) other, you know, book and movie universes. I love thinking about it. I love considering what mine would be. I don't know. I love that idea that the contradictory parts of a person are so visible and that you have an actual dialogue with the two parts of you that may want to do different things or have different takes on an issue. And it's not as if you have to shut one of those down, but it's just always there. And it's, it makes it like mandatory for people to contain multitudes and be contradictory in a way that I really dig. And I want to do that in every single piece of media that I ever write or play in. I'm going to sound a little bit less intelligent, I think, but yeah, I go TV usually. Um, nice. One of my favorite television shows of all time is Doctor Who. Yeah. And it deals with the inevitabilities and consequences of being immortal in a way that I kind mm. of wanted to adapt a little bit with Tracy because Warforged can't die unless they are killed. So I don't think I have any like huge, you know, overarching ideas, but I think the way that the ideas behind like the relationships that the doctor has with people and how everything he sees is ephemeral and everything that he knows and can be is is essentially intangible, but he still goes with gusto and he still like approaches everything with all of himself and and has uh, as much fun and enjoyment as he can, even though he knows it's going to 
suck so much worse later. To me, that really helps explain what I view as impulsivity in Tracy is that why not just fully commit to the interesting option or to the fun thing or to the thought that occurs to you? Yeah, I don't think he really I think to him, death is such an abstract concept that he doesn't it doesn't work into his calculations at all. Like he doesn't ever think he's going to die. So like he's feels pretty much invincible. So like. Why not just jump in head first? And given his purpose, it probably makes sense for him to like dissociate a little bit from the idea of, of actual death, like what he wreaks upon people. I think that probably makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of funny now because Tracy has the highest HP, so he can take the most punches. So yeah. like, why would he think he was going to die? Right. I think it's also like he doesn't understand it because why would he? He doesn't really know what it is so or have a real understanding of what that means. So I think that's why he's a little bit gun shy now. He doesn't want to take that or force that upon other people, that ephemeral idea of death. Mm. I love when uh, mechanics follow how you feel about the character. That's always a fun thing. Since y'all talked about books and and Brandon talked about TV, I'll say video games. You know, There's countless video games where it's all about light and darkness. I don't remember what specifically inspired me on, on light, but you know, lately I've been thinking about games like Alan Wake, where everything is darkness and everything is shadow, and you have a flashlight, and you it's just the light. You have a gun, but the gun basically is useless. It's all about using that light. And if folks really like media about the lived experience of immortality, I think the best movie ever is Only Lovers Left Alive, a 2013 movie about two, like, 2,000-plus-year-old vampires played by Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. Oh, I remember seeing trailers for that, and I never saw it. Um, Movie Night at My House. It is the best movie ever. It is, like, sad and beautiful and set in Detroit and also Tunisia, and everyone is willowy and vampiric and beautiful, and it deals with just, like, how actually every single day do you get up and live knowing that you have been around forever and you will be around forever, and what does a relationship look like when two people have known each other, been together for 2,000 years? Like, Mm. what? So it's so, so all right, friend of the show, Nikki. Oh, thank you for hitting us up on Twitter at Join the Party Pod. What's your most memorable game moments and what made it stick? The players, the teamwork, the story, the DM, hashtag learning how to DM, hashtag terrified, hashtag need inspiration. Well, first of all, good job DMing. It is terrifying. I haven't done it yet. It would take me a lot and probably a drink to actually start. But uh, <laughs> love you, girl, and rock on. One memorable moment was when I was DMing a game of Traveler, which is basically you can do anything you want in space. There was a fight and there was an asteroid field. And I remember that one of the characters was if Gordon Ramsay was like a space chef. (laughs) So he had like nothing he could be doing while they were trying to like maneuver through this asteroid field. So one of the other players was piloting. One was like on sensors trying to like watch out for that asteroid. Oh no, over there. Someone was like a captain and this guy was making tea because the captain had asked for Earl Grey hot. (laughs) And so I, it was amazing just like being able to go through as the person doing the sensors had to roll to see if they were able to catch everything. The person checking the tea had to roll to make sure that the water didn't like boil over and like make a mess and potentially burn themselves. And you know, uh, he, he had to go through all these skill checks while everyone else is going through their skill checks. It, <laughs> it had the same kind of gravitas and like energy and and importance. And at the end, he succeeded, which gave everyone plus two to every single role um, <laughs> as they were trying to get out of this asteroid field and avoid being shot down. So it was just this great moment of 
I love when when you can play D and D and anything can happen, and it's like you can make tea and it's important and it matters because if he had spilled the tea as he was walking it to the other people, he could have burned them, hurting them. He could have so many number of things, and it's about tea. Like what? I loved it. Yeah. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. Okay, so in the game I used to play with Amanda and with Julia, friend of the show, and we played with Julia's fiance and her friend Eric and. Other Eric, not third. Other Eric and Jake. <laughs> Jake bailed in the last second, and um, I scrambled to come up with something. And I'm like, all right, give me like 20 minutes, and I'm going to come up with something. And I fa- uh, looked at Koatoa, which is this monster. When you get enough of them in a room together, they can create a, a god or a deity. So I ended up just going off on this whole tangent where, like, they got convinced by this, like, s- adventure startup bro to like come and do like a uh focus group and they created like this massive panther thing because julia had like found this panther from like a the one of those like yarns that turn into a a creature and i totally didn't like i came up with all this in the fly and at the end when they were trying to get the god back into the ethereal plane it started talking to julia in her head and like julia's character was just this disaffected hunter and by the end, she was, like, so attached to this panther that she was genuinely upset, like, her as a person. When it had to go away. Yeah, like, she had to leave, and at the end, she was, like, super bummed, and, like, had to, like, de-stress for, like, an hour. Um, and I was so surprised by the power of something you guys can just, like, create together in your mind. Uh, just, like, the chaos of what we talk about. I mean, I made someone, like, emotionally affected from something that I came up with, like, about startup bros in, like, 20 minutes. I love that so much. Because it great? sounds, I'm hearing this for the first time, and it sounds kind of crazy what you just described. But also, oh, you, I, 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 you probably made Julia cry. I did. I think like, I did. That's, like, so powerful. This is, uh, D&D. It's the best. Everyone should play. Not only did it give me, like, inspiration in myself and, like, what I can do, but just, like, the game matters. Yeah. Like, really seeing someone else be emotionally affected, I'm like, we all bought in. This was great. I'm so happy we got to all come together in Amanda's apartment and hang out and do this. Brandon? Uh, I got nothing that great, but one time, uh, <laughs> my favorite thing about being a sorcerer, I was, I'm a sorcerer gnome in one of my other stories, and uh, one time I was fighting someone, and every time you do a wild magic spell, you have to roll, and if you get a... I think it's like I, I'm butchering this, but if you get a one or twenty on that roll, you have to roll on the wild magic chart, and it's just like a chart of zero to a hundred things uh, that just randomly happen. And I did a thing, and I I think I killed like a big boss guy, and then I rolled on the chart, and I got turned into a potted plant. <laughs> and that was very fun. Nice. I'd last for X amount of time. I forgot, but like yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. And then I think I was like just out of the battle for the rest of the time. That's amazing. That is amazing. Amanda, do you have an end? I've gotten really swept up in images in the world, um, like the sort of like camera pan back where one of them was, I think, in, in episode two when one of the stars blinked out after the wedding. And for me, especially coming in as, as a newer player, like I'm so in my own head about, you know, I hope I do this correctly. I hope I remember all of the spells that I can do when I do checks. I want to remember to like add the right number to it. Like I don't want to disrupt the flow of play. And so I feel like my focus is always so 
granular on like this role, this challenge in front of us, this boss defeating this thing or this round of combat. And so whenever I'm reminded that this is all taking place in a bigger world, whether that's, you know, someone saying a prophecy or giving us an answer that's going to end up being really useful to a larger quest or literally doing a camera pan back, you know, and saying, oh, by the way, while all this is going on, let's look up and like what is happening above you. Those images that remind me that this is a character whose actions have consequences in a big world and are, you know, very beautiful images that stick with me uh, and that I want people to paint so that I can, you know, put them on my wall. That to me is, is really incredible. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait to see what happens next. And I know that y'all are excited as well. If you want to share your favorite moments from the episode, if you, for whatever reason, want to make an elaborate oil painting depicting the three of us hanging out on this ship, finding an octopus and a Gyarados, I mean, that's totally up to you. But And I'm also there. Eric is also there (laughs) hovering like God in the corner of a Renaissance painting (laughs) looking down over all of us. In any case, you can find us at JoinThePartyPod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. If you share things with us, use hashtag JoinThePartyPod on any of those platforms. That way other folks can see your beautiful art and quotes and reactions as well. If you have questions, if you have stories from your game, if you have strong opinions about things that we have done, you can express them in a loving manner using the email hello at JoinThePartyPod.com or get to our contact page at JoinThePartyPod.com. As always, you get transcripts on the website as well. You got character sheets. It's great. Our patrons will be getting a bunch of amazing extras from this episode at patreon.com slash join the party pod. For as little as two bucks, you can get a bunch of behind the scenes stuff bloopers for every episode. If you become a party legend, you can get our episodes two days early. So instead of 13 days from now, you can get the next chapter 11 days from now. It's going to be amazing. We are very thankful for all of you. And if you want to join us, that's patreon.com slash join the party pod. Mikey's spinning away his dice, so it sounds like we are out of here. Yo ho, yo ho, a gamer's life for me. Yo ho, yo ho, undying light protect thee. See you in two weeks.